On October 12, 2022, right-wing conspiratorial entrepreneur Alex Jones was obligated to pay the families of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting $965 million after promoting the conspiracy theory that the event on December 14, 2012 was a false flag operation to disarm the American citizens and implement martial law. In the years to follow since that tragedy, Alex Jones would use his platform, InfoWars, to enable radical conspiracy theorists to investigate and do their own research into what really happened that day. As a result, many members of the conspiratorial community would go on to harass, stalk, and even send death threats to the family members. To escape such torment, people like Lenny Posner were forced to move from one place to another to escape doxing, while others used suicide to end the emotional trauma of conspiratorial harassment. For the family members of Sandy Hook, this victory against Alex Jones was the first step in stopping the influence of conspiratorial ideologies, while for others, this was an attack on our freedom of speech. I am your social chemist Nelson, and on today's episode, we look at the conspiratorial right-wing's protection of Alex Jones. This episode is brought to you by... I'm just joking. This episode isn't brought to you by anything. We don't do that here. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. Before I begin, I want to give a few shoutouts. It's come to my attention that I've gained a small following, and I find this amazing because I do this podcast for shits and giggles, but to have people from across the country listen to me is such an amazing feeling. And I want to take this time to recognize these places where people listen to me consistently. These include Bangor, Maine, which is always the first to listen to each episode. I remember my last episode, I published it at like um, at 12, and by 12.10, it already showed that I had one download. So whoever's listening in Bangor, Maine, thank you. Next is Folsom, San Diego, and Rancho Cordova, California, who also pop up in my notification for each episode. I'm not entirely sure if I have three separate people listening in Rancho Cordova or if they accidentally click on my episode three times, but whatever the case may be, thank you for the support. Next is Yuma, Arizona. Yuma has been with me since day one, and I always get excited when I see Yuma because I honestly think that my podcast sucks, yet every time I see my viewership, I can feel good knowing that Yuma found my podcast entertaining. Now, I don't know if Yuma is a fan or a conspiracy theorist. As a matter of fact, I don't know if any of the cities or towns I've just named are from genuine listeners or conspiracy theorists, but whatever the case may be, I am glad you found my show informative or just good background sound. Then we have Blairstown, New Jersey. Thank you for supporting your local state podcast. I love knowing there is someone outside a 40-mile radius listening to the show and talking about New Jersey. Shout out to anyone in Elizabeth listening. I see you. I see you very well. Lastly, and this person I'm going to acknowledge by name because they've really been such a supportive listener to the podcast and someone who I've engaged with a lot during this whole project of mine, and that's Dorothy or Wizard of Oz, whichever name you want to go by. I cannot thank you enough for being such an amazing supporter. I often struggle to produce these episodes because I'm always in a fight between me and the airplane that flies above my neighborhood every five minutes. And after publishing each episode, I tell myself, this episode sucks. But then I receive positive feedback from you. And it's because of that support that I continue with my journey in fighting against disinformation and conspiracy theories. So, Dorothy, thank you. So, with that being said, let's dive in. 
By now, many of you guys probably heard that right-wing conspiracy theorist Alex Jones was going to have to pay $965 million to the family members of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. And the reason behind this was because over the years, Alex Jones had promoted the idea that everyone involved in Sandy Hook was a crisis actor and that the false flag operation was a way of subconsciously promoting gun control. Now, the problem with this premise is that it's about to be 10 years since Sandy Hook, and since then, no significant gun control policy has been implemented at a federal level. Just a few months back, a lone gunman in Uvalde, Texas, committed the same act of terror similar to Sandy Hook, and no gun reformation has occurred since then. Because of this, the conspiracy theory of Sandy Hook has evolved slightly. Instead of Sandy Hook being about the Second Amendment, it's now about the first, the freedom of speech. Now, about a month ago, I did an episode covering the conspiratorial mindset of people who believe in the Sandy Hook conspiracy theory. In that episode, I shared my thoughts on the Robbie Parker news conference clip and introduced Alex Jones. As I was producing that episode, I was also reading Sandy Hook, An American Tragedy and the Battle for Truth by Elizabeth Williamson, a New York Times correspondent. Now, the book was well written, and even though it's a 500-page book, I kept coming back to it to finish it and learn about what happened after the events of Sandy Hook Elementary School. In the first few chapters, we learn that as the nation is grieving for the community of, New of Newtown, Connecticut, residents and surviving members of the shooting receive hundreds of letters and toys to help the community heal from the trauma. Unfortunately, these acts of kindness eventually became an inconvenience since, at the time, the residents were receiving truckloads of letters and toys, all which the town had no room for and were eventually forced to throw out, turning Newtown into a dumpster for washed-up teddy bears waiting to be picked up by the garbage trucks. And when it came to allocating donation money to the family members, the details are even more shocking. Now, my only complaint about the book is that the chapters don't have titles indicating what the specific section will be about. The reason this is an issue for me is because I don't like writing on my books. I feel kind of icky about it. It's like ruining another person's artwork. Anyways, if you get the book, you'll notice that the content page only has the chapter numbers. I'm going to assume Elizabeth Williamson did this to force the reader to read the book chronologically instead of skipping chapters. While I can see why one would do that, if you're like me, you can go back to find specific details. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because I'll be referencing this book, but since I can't recall where exactly in the book I got the information, I'm going to be basing it off memory. So for today's episode, we're going to be assessing the commentary of right-wing political commentator Charlie Kirk. And after, understand why Alex Jones' conspiracy theory about Sandy Hook Elementary School backfired on him. Now, for those who are unaware, Charlie Kirk is the co-founder of the youth organization Turning Point USA, an organization that promotes conservatism among the younger generation, which is why across the country many universities have chapters to fight against what they call Marxist indoctrination. Now, to my knowledge, Charlie Kirk has never attended university, yet he promotes a number of conspiracy theories attacking colleges, accusing academic institutions of teaching anti-American rhetoric, radical gender ideology, and radical feminism that promotes depopulation, and to be specific, depopulation of the white race, because that's the only one that matters to him. He also spreads conspiracy theories about the 2020 election, COVID-19 misinformation, and is a climate change denialist. Even though Charlie Kirk is a right-wing propagandist, I will admit that I have some respect for him because he's one of the few Republicans that will defend his values in the debate. Unlike a number of conservative pundits who bubble themselves in their own ignorance, Charlie Kirk has the balls to engage in dialogue with people in the political left and embarrass himself for our amusement. By the way, you hear that plane? 
That's the plane I was telling you guys about earlier. <sighs> so now that I've introduced Charlie Kirk, we're going to be listening to the first nine minutes of his program. And I'll break down a number of incorrect claims that he makes in order to mitigate Alex Jones' harassment of the family members of Sandy Hook Elementary School. So let's see what Charlie Kirk has to say. The real reason why I was trending is because I tweeted about Alex Jones. Now, some of you might have saw the news yesterday with Alex Jones. Alex Jones received a ruling that he has to pay nearly $1 billion in damages. Now, understand, I tweeted out about this yesterday, about the injustice of having to force somebody to pay a billion dollars for having a wrong opinion and wrong perspective about something, and I got trending for that. All right, first of all, Alex Jones is not being forced to pay almost $1 billion because of a wrong opinion or a wrong perspective. Alex Jones was facing defamation lawsuits filed by the parents of the Sandy Hook tragedy after promoting the conspiracy theory that individuals like Robbie Parker and Lenny Posner were crisis actors trying to manipulate people into giving up their guns, which by definition is defamation. Not only that, over the years, Alex Jones had enabled a number of radical conspiracy theorists to engage in their own research and harass the family members of Sandy Hook to find, quote-unquote, the truth. These people include Lucy Richards, who for months had sent Lenny Posner death threats via emails and voicemails. Thankfully, in 2017, she was arrested and sentenced to five months in prison. She was also obligated to not engage in conspiratorial content like Infowars, where she would normally get her information from. Wolfgang Halbig, which by the way is a weird-ass name, a former Florida Public School Security Administrator who soon after the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting became an Infowar contributor and made numerous appearances on the program and was actually given a camera crew by Alex Jones to go and investigate the truth on what really happened, quote-unquote. Over the years, Wolfgang Helbig sent hundreds of public record requests to Newtown officials demanding documents that included pictures of the murder scene, the children's dead bodies, and the skull fragments of the children who were shot. In 2020, Mr. Halbig was arrested for the unlawful possession of personal identification from Lenny Posner, which included his date of birth, social security number, and personal address. James Fetzer, a retired professor from the University of Minnesota Duluth, who accused Mr. Posner of forging his son's death certificate and co-authored the book, Nobody Died, at Sandy Hook, where he writes that Sandy Hook was a false flag operation to take away your Second Amendment. By the way, you can purchase the book on eBay for $460 with the $6 delivery fee. In 2019, Lenny Posner was awarded $450,000 after years of harassment from Jane Fetzer. After the jury, Mr. Posner stated the following. Mr. Fetzer has the right to believe that Sandy Hook never happened. He has the right to express his ignorance. This award, however, further illustrates the difference between the right of people like Mr. Fetzer to be wrong and the right of victims like myself and my child to be free from defamation, free from harassment, and free from the intentional infliction of terror. So when Charlie Kirk says that Alex Jones was paying for having a wrong perspective, that is an absolute lie. You don't even have to know about the conspiracists that harassed Lenny Posner to know that that statement is false. I mean, if people were being sued for having a wrong perspective, 
people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Riza Islam, and Peter McCullough would all be facing lawsuits. However, that's not happening because their conspiracy theories, for the most part, are about vaccines, not actual parents of dead children. And I want you guys to keep this in mind because we're going to come back to this later on. In the next segment, listen to how Charlie Kirk attempts to minimize the impact Alex Jones has had on the spread of Sandy Hook conspiracy theories. And all these sorts of things. And let me just be very clear. I disagree with Alex Jones on plenty of things. I agree with Alex Jones on some things. When Alex Jones talks about the Great Reset, I agree with almost everything he has to say. There's plenty of things throughout the years that I think Alex Jones could have done differently. Certainly what he did with the Sandy Hook thing was not right. He admits it. He said he made a mistake in the Sandy Hook situation. He says what he said was wrong. He now says that. When Charlie Kirk says that he agrees with Alex Jones on some things and disagrees with him on others, this is an attempt to humanize Alex Jones and his actions because honestly, Charlie Kirk can make that same argument for anybody. For instance, Charlie Kirk favors anti-immigration policies directed towards the southern border. You know who else shares that same idea? David Duke from the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, they agree on some things and disagree on others, but I doubt Charlie Kirk would try to make that same argument for a racist. The point I'm trying to make is that Alex Jones is a manipulator who has used the human suffering of traumatized parents to increase his own profits. And no one should be defending such a hideous human being. Now in the segment, Charlie Kirk states that the verdict was unjust because Alex Jones had already admitted that he was wrong and had apologized numerous times in the past. The problem with that statement is that while Alex Jones did apologize, he did so after facing numerous lawsuits against him, which took years to plan. And the fact that social media websites like Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube began removing his content from their platform. Alex Jones began to realize that by promoting Sandy Hook conspiracy theories, it was beginning to affect him financially, which is basically when he decided to switch tactics and apologize for his disinformation campaign. But make no mistake about it, Alex Jones didn't retract because he had a change of heart. He retracted because it was affecting his wallet. Now, I'm going to play one final segment from The Charlie Kirk Show and pay close attention when he uses the word day to describe how day told CNN that Alex Jones was bad. Kick people off of social media to shut us up, and the next thing you know, I'm getting suspended from Twitter. And then a president of the United States gets banned from Twitter. And it started with us being silent when Alex Jones was kicked off of social media, when all these different companies came together and they banned him. When CNN led that campaign, again, we're going to get the kind of article when that all happened. And it happened on, it was all at once. All these different companies that had nothing in common except the fact that they were told that Alex Jones is the worst thing ever and people were silent, myself included. So there are two things we need to clarify here. The first one is the assumption by Charlie Kirk that social media websites out of nowhere ban people like himself and former President Donald Trump from spreading misinformation and conspiracy theories. By stating it like that, this implies social media websites were quick to respond to harmful disinformation. However, that's not how any of this went down. In the book, Sandy Hook, An American Tragedy and the Battle for Truth, we learned that Lenny Posner for years tried to plead with sites like Facebook, 
to remove conspiracy theory posts that included images of his deceased son that promoted the idea that his child was in reality not dead and that Lenny Posner was a crisis actor paid by the Democratic Party. And early on, when Mr. Posner tried to bring awareness to conspiratorial harassment, social media websites, for the most part, gave him the cold shoulder. And when he did manage to get a response, they ultimately told him that there was nothing they can do because every person has the right to be wrong. In 2018, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg did an interview on the Recode podcast. In that episode, he is asked why he allows conspiracy theorists to spread dangerous disinformation on his platform. To explain his reasoning, he references the Holocaust denialist movement and gives the following remarks. I'm Jewish, and there's a set of people who deny that the Holocaust happened. I find that deeply offensive. But at the end of the day, I don't believe that our platform should take that down. Because I think there are things that different people get wrong. And I don't think that they're intentionally getting it wrong. Now, this caught the attention of the Anti-Defamation League, who condemned Mark Zuckerberg because just how Charlie Kirk thinks that the conspiracy theories of Sandy Hook is just a wrong perspective, Mark Zuckerberg asserts that the Holocaust denialism movement is also a wrong perspective, which is absolutely false. The Holocaust denialism movement is a purely anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that accuses the Jews of faking their own genocide to manipulate the world and feeling pity for them as they rule over the entire world. That's not the same thing as saying that 2 plus 2 equals 5. That makes a person wrong. Saying that the genocide of 6 million Jews during World War II was fabricated makes you an anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist. They are not the same thing. Since this interview, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, as well as other social media platforms, have begun taking conspiracy theory harassments more seriously, going as far as to personally keep communications with Lenny Posner to automatically remove any conspiracy theory post that defames him and his child. But make no mistake about it, just like Alex Jones, Mark Zuckerberg didn't do this because of a change of heart. He did this because Facebook was receiving bad publicity that was beginning to affect his Facebook stocks. Now, in the segment we just heard, Charlie Kirk states that Day told CNN that Alex Jones was bad. But who is Day? As we already know, Day are the family members of the 26 people that were slaughtered at Sandy Hook Elementary School. However, he refuses to identify them by name, because in doing so, he would be forced to acknowledge the pain and human suffering that Alex Jones has caused to these people. And it's here that lies the secret to why Alex Jones is in the predicament that he's in. In the past, I have mentioned about the linguistic strategy of the word day, when conspiracists like Tucker Carlson, Prime Minister Georgia Maloney, and Charlie Kirk use day, they never identify the threat. And that's because it's not up to them to identify where the danger is coming from. It's up to their audience. The advantage of framing the conspiratorial perpetrator as day is that the conspiracy theory producers don't have to point at a specific group for their audience to attack. By simply saying day, conspiracy theory followers will attack the first outgroup they see. Now recall the five conspiratorial perpetrators we've spoken about in previous episodes. In these, we have the enemy below, which are minority groups, and the enemy above, who are the rich elite. Other than their social status, there is a difference in characteristics about the enemy below and the enemy above. 
The New York Times' Anna Marlin describes this difference in her opinion piece when she writes that when conspiracy theorists target massive names like Bill Gates, CNN, and Monsanto, these attacks that are considered punching up mostly go unnoticed because their target themselves are too big for them to notice. However, when conspiracy theorists attack the enemy below, they're targeting people who have already been tormented and have no other choice but to react like Lenny Posner did for years. Alex Jones's conspiracy theories targeted the US government, mainstream media, and the pharmaceutical companies. And these conspiracy theories often went unchallenged by these institutions because to them, Alex Jones is a nobody. And because no one ever did anything to him, Alex Jones became comfortable in spreading conspiracy theories without recognizing the consequences of his own actions. It was his miscalculation of the enemy below, which is what caused Jones to lose billions last week. Because unlike the enemy above, which for the most part are institutions built by the collective, meaning that they're operated by hundreds of people, Alex Jones' target of the family members of the Sandy Hook shooting not only involved attacking people who had already endured years of emotional torment by conspiracy theorists, but he identified them by name, informing his audience of who the enemy was and forgetting the advantage of calling the outgroup gay. So why have conservative pundits like Charlie Kirk and Steven Crowder jumped so quickly in defending a conspiracy theorist like Alex Jones? There are two explanations. Either they've become radicalized by the conspiratosphere, or they're attempting to normalize Alex Jones' conspiracy theory talking points. And you're probably wondering, Nelson, what is the difference? Well, I'm glad you asked. When a person has become radicalized by conspiracy theories, the belief of that conspiracy theory pulls them closer to that ideology. On the other hand, when individuals attempt to normalize conspiracy theories, it's the individual that is pulling the conspiracy theory towards them in order to align with whatever political or social agenda a person might have. And based on what I've heard from Charlie Kirk throughout this episode, I can be confident in saying that what he is trying to do is normalize Alex Jones. But why? Well, let me offer an analogy. In my Sandy Hook Elementary School episode when I first introduced Alex Jones, I unintentionally called him the Megalodon of conspiratorial ideologies. And I want you to hold on to this image. Now in 2018, a movie called Meg was released where a giant Megalodon goes around killing people. In the final battle between the protagonist, played by Jason Statham, and the giant shark, the hero of the film slashes the megalodon's stomach open and rams a spear into his eye, delivering the fatal blow. As the shark's dead body begins to descend into the ocean, we, the audience members, see regular-sized sharks coming out of nowhere to begin eating what is left of the megalodon after smelling the blood. I'll leave a link to this clip in the show notes below if you want to see the, the scene I'm talking about. In the same way that the sharks in the movie feast on the dead megalodon, Right-wing conservatives are beginning to feast on a bleeding Alex Jones, who in the next couple of years will lose chunks of his audience members. And when that happens, Charlie Kirk will be there to eat every one of Alex Jones' followers and use them to spread his own agenda and more importantly, increase his own profits with endless advertisements. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're listening on Spotify, click on that follow button for me. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, click on that subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. By doing so, you'll help expose this podcast to people who might be interested in conspiracy theories within politics. 
If you're listening on any other platform, make sure to follow for more analysis on a conspiratorial mindset. You can follow me on Facebook and on Instagram at The Social Chemist. If possible, share this podcast with your friends to have some interesting discussions about today's episode. For sources, you can find all the references on the show notes below. So with that being said, take care and question everything with logic.